leaders give direction, the managers give directions. And I feel like that's the difference, right? True leadership, all this successful leadership comes from being able to, you know, set a vision and enable folks to get there without necessarily being over the top of them. Welcome to Rise and Thrive, Conversations for Greatness. We bring you captivating conversations with extraordinary individuals who have conquered challenges, achieved greatness, and are making a positive impact in the world. This is your go-to source for inspiration and motivation. I'm your host, John Merkis. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to someone that I truly admire. This man has achieved greatness and is making a positive impact in the world. His insights and expertise in leadership development are unparalleled. Strap yourselves in for an enlightening conversation that will undoubtedly empower you to unlock your inner leadership potential and your greatness. His motto is leadership comes from within and I'm here to help you achieve it. Rise and Thrivers, this is our opportunity to learn from a true expert and a thought leader, also known as the virtual CTO. He's an advisor, he's a mentor, he's a facilitator, he's a speaker, he's the author of one and a half books and two podcasts. Welcome, Shane Williams. Mate, thanks for having me. I feel like now that you've pumped my tyres up that much, I better live up to expectations. Oh, mate, I know you will. I know you will. And the reason I know you will is because... We met seven years ago and we have maintained our relationship and I count you uh, as a friend. And when we met, you were an executive manager. I was the senior change lead on a transformation program that ran across Australia, Hong Kong, Malaysia and Singapore. And essentially, you were my boss. So first question, how was that for you? (laughs) (laughs) Just straight straight with the hard-hitting stuff. It was good, mate. I think, you know, it was an interesting time that... If you think about what does a change program look like across geographies, cultures, all that sort of stuff, it's not a small piece of work. That takes a lot of coordination, a lot of thinking, and to be honest, there's a lot of you know science behind getting that right. And so, you know, trying to find the right people who've got the right experience and the right cultural fit for that sort of organisation was really important. And um, yeah, you 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 passed the test. Well done. Well, and when I uh, left a few years later, it was one of the highlights of my career where uh, the whole team was wearing a, a T-shirt with my face on it that said change underneath it uh, as, a, as a lovely send-off, uh, just ma- magnificent. And all jokes aside, the reason I, I mentioned that is because I wanted and I want the audience to know that I've experienced your leadership style firsthand so, and I know it to be amazing and that's part of the reason I wanted you to, to have you on the show. This is a conversation for greatness, and so I'd like to kick off by kind of asking you, what do you think makes a great leader? I reckon, I wrote about this in my book, right, but I reckon I synthesise it down to something really simple. It's leaders give direction, the managers give directions, and I feel like that's right. the difference, right? It's if you can set people up for success by giving them all the tools and resources available and point them in the direction they need to go and then cut them loose and give them the autonomy to make their own decisions, make their own mistakes and make it a safe place to, you know, course correct and whatnot, you're going to get a whole bunch more better result from folks than you're going to get 
if you're just sitting there, this is what's next, this is what's next and being really dictatorial and you know, micromanaging, so to speak. So I reckon like in its essence, that's it. You know, true leadership, all this successful leadership comes from being able to, you know, set a vision and enable folks to get there without necessarily being over the top of them. I have experienced that because I recall when we would have our conversations and they were conversations, it's not, John, you do that and you do that and you do this. It's it's like what you're saying, you hired or you surrounded yourself with the right people to get the job done and there's the old expressions you know let the cobblers cobble so you know let, let them do what what's best but I also felt comfortable enough to ask you about things knowing that I wasn't going to be judged like you know I can't believe you're asking me that or you know all the so I had the freedom and that safety that you're talking about to to be able to do that. And that's where we were able to come up with some really good innovative solutions to some of the change problems that we had. So that collaboration or being able to collaborate with with someone that's that, you know has the title of leader, because you can have the title and not necessarily do it. Luckily, there's people like yourselves that, that, that do both and have that kind of style. So that, that safety, that, that you know, some people call it psychological safety. That essence of being able to bring your true self to something uh, in a team. I, I don't know if there's a magic wand or there's secret sauce or whatever, but you do it. Do you know how you do it or is it just your natural personality, way of working, shining it's through? probably a couple of elements, right? The, the first thing is I don't pretend even to myself, to think that I know everything. And you made the point, right? Surround yourself with really smart people. You know, I have a couple of philosophies. One is make yourself redundant. So go in there, set up the right team for success, put the right people and processes in place, and then bounce when you're not needed anymore, right? Part of that philosophy is therefore to make sure that there is that, you know, we call it psychological safety, which is a whole bunch of science behind why that works, right? Building the psychological safety, how do you do it? Because you, you kind of do it well, it seems natural, so it's not like you're sitting down going, okay, what are the five things I'm going to do to build psychological safety in the team? Well, you might, I don't know, but it doesn't appear that way. It kind of um, it, it gets created through working together, but you have the style that allows that to come in, right? Yeah. So I think we've all worked with people that's like, you know that's not the environment you're working in. So I was wondering how you bring that in in case there's leaders out there that are listening and would like to do have more of that in the teams and in the environments that they're working and thriving in. How can you bring that in so the team and you feel okay to, you know, some of the agile principles, uh, you know, fail fast and learn quickly, yeah. uh, say what you need to say in a uh, retrospective or in a reflection session, be comfortable to say what you need to say to have things be better. Yeah. So I have a sort of a mantra that I use with the teams, right? And that is challenge the idea and not the person. Nice. Now, if it's in a technical sense and it's a technical discussion, then someone proposes an idea. You need We're creating that culture where someone else can say, you know what, I can see where you're going with that. Here's some things I think you might come up against if you went down that path. This is how I'd approach it for these reasons and have a respectful but critical conversation that's challenging the idea and not the person. Mm. If you continue to focus on challenging the idea and if somebody does get, you know, physically worked up, you can kind of pull them aside and go, hey, you know, 
this is all about us helping each other to come up with the best answer. Yeah. Critical thinking is, you know, that's how we're going to get there, right? There's no perfect answer. There's a bunch of options and maybe a culmination of those is going to get us to the right place. If someone's challenging something that you've put up there, as long as it's done respectfully, then it's really about challenging that idea. And that should create the safety to go, oh, I, I can reciprocate and, and challenge your thoughts as well. And as a group, we start to build that muscle memory that becomes to a point where so, I mean, I've seen some really, I mean, you were in some of those sessions, right? Some really, mm. really robust conversations, mm. but it was always very strictly, we're challenging the idea, we're challenging the solution, we're challenging not to the person. Um, yeah. And so as long as you can kind of maintain that, then I think that's what kind of sets that group up for success. And so I don't necessarily go out of my way with a, you know, I haven't got a, a model or a structure or something that I do to enable that. It might just be a yeah, natural thing that I do, but I, I do use that mantra, challenge the idea, not the person, mm, um, mm. As, as the kind of the, 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 again, this is the goal, right? This is what we, we aspire to now, you know, make it work. Nice. And I also like how you said about building the muscle. So it takes time to build that trust. I guess the the interesting part is the shorter amount of time you can do that, the more innovative and, and the more and, and the better it is to work in that kind of environment. So it doesn't necessarily happen as soon as you walk in, uh, but you can create that and, and make that happen through ideas like you just said, we're challenging the ideas and not the person. And I think also demonstrating that, right? Like uh, mm. allowing people to challenge you and your ideas and, and being open to that and not not reacting and you know in, in a way that might, you know, not necessarily, you're not you're not acting in a way that is con congruent with the what you're espousing in terms of you know allowing people to challenge. Mm. Begin mm. by demonstrating that. I think the other thing you, you you brought up was interesting is how long does that take? And I think it's kind of how long is a piece of string. I mean, you think about a bunch of people from a similar cultural background in a room together is going to be probably far more efficient at achieving that than a geographically dispersed group of people from different cultures. And, you know, we saw that when we were working with some of the teams across, you know, Asia and Australia and whatnot, different people, and even the people who were in the room with us who'd come from, you know, South Asia and different places, right? The mm. Culturally, it wasn't necessarily for them comfortable to challenge somebody who was seen to be more senior. And so it was allowing you guys to demonstrate that I was okay with it that enabled them to then go, oh, okay, well, maybe it is in this group it's okay. And kind of, as you say, building that muscle memory. It takes a little bit more time. But, you know, mm -hmm. I think it just comes back to sticking to it and demonstrating it. Yeah, so walking the, walking the talk, yeah. I love that demonstration. And it's really authentic when you're having a conversation with someone that also believes feedback is the breakfast of champions. <laughs> and, you may have used uh, that once or twice. Yeah, I love that. I love that expression. So with feedback, sometimes it's not easy to take. Well, I wouldn't say not easy, but you get a bit of a twinge. You go, oh, I do anyway. So I've really had to work on myself to be able to take feedback. Have you had to do similar kind of things? To, like given that that is a good way to go and that's how you achieve and that's how sporting teams achieve, they're getting feedback all the time, team at the time and athletes are working with coaches to get feedback to better themselves. So it is the access to being great, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that when we're getting it. There's definitely you need to be in the right mindset, right, mind, right place, I think, in terms of 
being ready to receive that information. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the time to receive that is not when you're stressed out of your eyeballs and you're falling back to your default behaviours, right? Because um, you quite easily fall into fight or flight and you're not actually listening, you're, you're on, the, on the defensive and whatnot, and that's not necessarily, you know, conducive to anybody. So I think, you know, my, my lesson to myself there is, you know, to be more cognizant of the signs of being burnt out far, far sooner and doing something about that before you get to the point where what was what eventually will happen is you're so burnt out you're falling back to your default behaviors in yeah in in my case is fight or flight and then someone's going to say here's some feedback which on any other day of the week might seem particularly constructive and today i'm ready to have a swing so you know like that's that's not going to work so you know and i learned that early on in my career you know 10 or 15 years ago that you know you need to be really cognizant of when you're starting to get pushed to a point because you're not you know you're you're not going to necessarily react in a particularly positive way. And part of that, you know, mm. the, I guess leadership development journey is to get on the front foot rather than waiting for, uh, rather than having a strategy for dealing with, I've just blown up. Why not have a strategy for not getting to the point where you're going to do that in the first place? Yeah, prevention better than the cure. Love it. Love it. And well, I was going to ask you, what does it take to become a great leader? And I think you've hit on some of those points and, and like demonstrating walking the walk. Uh, building that uh, safety where you can uh, give two-way feedback, uh, understanding that uh, timing's really important about when you do these kind of things. Is there anything else that, you know, you're a mentor, if I came to you and said, Shane, I want to up my leadership skills and, and my muscle in that area, what advice would you have for me and all the, the listeners? We talked about some of the, I guess, mechanisms, if you like, that you can employ. I think the key there is it's not binary. You're not not a leader and then a leader. It's almost like this continuous journey, right? You know, think about, there's a quote, I don't know exact wording, but it's along the lines of, you know, we are what we repeatedly do. You know, excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. That's like an Aristotle quote or something like that. But I think about that in terms of you've got to keep at it and you've got to keep like everything, right? And 10,000 hours to learn a skill. It's one of those things that you need to continually work on and, and, and seek to improve and not assume that I'm a leader now, I've got this in the bag, right? Like you're, going, you're going to learn from other leaders. You're going to learn from better leaders. And that I think that's what it comes down to is, this, you know, you know about, think about salespeople. They've got that, that mantra, ABC, you know, always be closing. I feel like for, well, for anybody, but leaders particularly, it's almost like always be learning. Yeah, nice. No, thinking about, you know, don't assume that I know everything and I can be learning from my team, I can be learning from my peers, I can be learning from a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it's a bit like motivation uh, and, and I've heard this expression that, you know, you don't take a shower and then you're clean for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> you need to keep doing it on a, on a daily, hopefully a daily basis, <laughs> on a daily basis to maintain that. So that's there's a lot in that with different life lessons and what I'm hearing from you yeah. is you're saying it's the same in leadership. It's not a one and done thing. You don't just, uh, I've got the title, I'm a leader, so there you go. It's uh, it's uh, every day learning and being willing. But see, that's a good mindset to have though. You come, that's a leadership mindset. There's plenty of people who've got the title of leader and don't demonstrate it, right? You've got a two podcasts. Mm -hmm. That's also been inspiring for me when you see uh, someone like yourself do that. And I think, oh, great, Shane's doing that. I'd love to do that too. And then finally doing it. Shane, you've interviewed many leaders and innovators through your podcast, The Platform Diaries. I'd love you to tell me a little bit about 
and our audience, I know about it, but our audience about the platform diaries. And I'm wondering what are some of the insights and common success factors that you've seen from those people that's really struck you that could benefit our audience? Yeah, so Platform Diaries is an interesting one. So season one had a vastly different, I suppose, angle to where I was aiming it. But the entire experiment around the podcast is similar to my philosophy around always be learning, right? There are a lot of smart people out there who've spent entire careers honing their expertise. And it's my point around you can be a leader, but you can, you know, if you thought you knew it all, you would be kidding yourself. The interviews in those podcasts were, sure, I've got a perspective on a topic or have an idea, but I'm seeking to learn. And so why not get someone who's an expert in a particular topic and go, hey, why don't I just ask some, the sorts of questions, and my my going in philosophy is ask the questions that people might be too scared to ask for, for fear of being seen to be stupid. So just go in there and act stupid and ask dumb questions and do it on behalf of the audience. But in the process, have the have the confidence to ask dumb questions of the things that you'd really like to know and just be, you know, not fearless is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like just go in there thinking, I know I don't know, and that's okay. But if I was sitting in a room with a bunch of other people who didn't know, what would be the questions they would want to ask but wouldn't necessarily be willing to? Yeah. And... So that that I guess that's the that's my interview style, if you like. That's what I'm my, my philosophy going in. And so, what did I take away from that? Is that nobody's an expert in everything. Everybody's got their unique perspective, and even people who are in very similar roles with very similar careers can have two vastly different perspectives on exactly the same thing. And that might be because they've got you know a different cultural bias, or they've got a different you know educational background, or lived experience or something that just applies a slightly different lens to exactly the same thing. I come up with a totally different answer. And I find that fascinating that hence the whole critical thinking and looking at things from a different perspective and that philosophy around how to build psychological safety all comes from the fact that you get a bunch of smart people in a room with different perspectives and you'll probably come up with something pretty, you know, intelligent or, or at least something that's not totally stupid. And the Platform Diaries is a show about tech and getting the most out of the tech that you've implemented, right? Yeah. So series one was you're in a business that is investing in enterprise software. So you're thinking ERPs or CRMs or those types of products where there's a lot of money that goes into them and they typically touch multiple parts of your business and in some instances can make or break you. Like some of these projects, you and I are involved in them, they're 40 million plus, right? Mm. And so the idea was you don't want to end up with a really expensive white elephant at the end of this, right? But a lot of businesses do. Sorry, mate, to cut you off there. But by white elephant, you mean you spend a lot of money and you can't. There's There's absolutely no value, right? Yep. And, you know, I, I quoted several times in my book, but there's a stat that I quoted in my book and it was from a research paper on successful software projects. And it said 68% of them fail in Australia mm-hmm. and the, the the billions of dollars that get wasted on, on these things. And so I was looking at that and I was thinking about my career and my journey through you know being responsible for some of these platforms. And then you go to a lot of events and you meet other customers and you hear the same stories. So season one was all around, we're all making the same mistakes. And some of us are doing some parts well and some not. And what if you could just get the collective hive mind of all the people who've been doing this for a while and figure out what are the common things that people screw up and then say, what should you do? 
Uh, and so Platform Diaries was an exploration of that. And it was trying to get different angles and different perspectives on the same thing from mm. software vendors through, you know, change management folks to, you know, all different types of angles on the same problem and trying to come up with what is the answer? What is the best practice in, in, in terms of getting maximum value? So it's not just a bunch of software that people never that never use, but it's how do we make sure that people are using it, that they're getting the value out of it, that the business is therefore getting the value and it's either some sort of operational saving or, or revenue. Season two then was how do you apply that to smaller organizations? So in this case, it was startups and scale-ups. And the idea was the principles are the same. Your business has proven a market fit in a product and it now needs to scale. Well, what do you need for that? You probably need platforms that are going to scale with you to solve the problems that your business is going to need. Like, you know, how do you how do you know who your customers are? How do you know when you've contacted them? What do you've sold them? What do you know? You know, the things that you need in terms of you can have a great product, but if you can't sell it, you can't service it, and you can't, uh, I guess, interact with your customers in a way that makes them feel like they're valued, they're just going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we enable smaller organizations that are set up ready to scale and have got investment ready to go? using same principles as you would apply to a big transformation in a large organization and scale it back. So yeah, slightly different angles on similar topics and just trying to continually unpack what have we missed, what more could we learn, what's another perspective. That's really interesting because even though it could be perceived as a tech podcast, I love listening to it, whether I understood the tech that was being talked about or not, because a lot of the things were like you were saying, it's about learning how to do things, how to think about things, to be able to do them better, how to deal with people, uh, how to approach and focus on or look at what do we really need to focus on. Uh, so I got a lot of benefit out of it as well. I'll leave the I'll leave the links in the show notes, of course. But I thought that was really interesting and I want to talk to you about that because even though it was a tech podcast, a lot of it had to do with dealing with people and what you think and what you do. Honestly, 90% of it was intended to not be about the tech. I mean, the, the tech is kind of the the focal point, if you like. We're talking about how to get the value out of software, but the, how to get the value out of software is not necessarily a technical problem. Mm, mm. It's, yeah, it's leadership. It's um, change management. It's all the things that go around it. And so, you know, I talk about that in the book is it's about building a capability. Right, building a capability around the platforms, which includes how you know, basics, right? Once you've got a big enterprise piece of software, everybody's going to say, right, I want X. And all of a sudden, you're going to have every part of the business have all got a different need, all coming at you at exactly the same time with this is the game changer. If I don't have this, my business is going to fall apart and all the usual rhetoric that comes with the need. How are you going to figure out what's real and what's not? What's the most important? Who's, who's going to make the decisions? Uh, how are we going to track the return on those things? all that stuff you need to put around it. And then you've got mm. the team who's going to build it, the team who's going to support it and all that jazz. You know, what's the vision and purpose for the teams and the platform? And is, is it here to extract costs from the business or is it here to help us enable new growth or all those different things you need to think about? They're not technical problems. Mm. And so that was the point behind it. You know, we had people on there who were marketers, people on there who were you know, experts in change management, people who were transformation folks, talking about all sorts of topics that, had nothing to do necessarily with technology, but they were related in terms of how do you get value. We definitely hit the mark because uh, that was exactly my thinking, whether you know the tech or not, you're still getting value out of this because of all the things you just said. Part of leadership is backing yourself and you left really successful corporate gigs 
to start your own business in the thought leadership arena as a uh, as a leader in tech and a leader of uh, of people projects and organizations and you've had great success so what are the some of the things that you're thinking and doing to drive that success so if we peel back prior to leaving right think about my career yes it was varied in terms of i did a lot of different things but it was predominantly within one organization right so i spent 18 and a half years with news corp right yeah, you and uh, Rupert are mates, yeah. right? So we we don't mention the war. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my first gig was working with the family, and then beyond that, it was in the organisation for many, many years. When you go through that, you think about what does the definition of success look like in terms of you know your career, right? It's you know, constantly making your way up the ladder, new challenges, new experiences, and whatever. And by the way, you're you're dealing with one of the most successful media organizations and entrepreneurs in the country or in the world yeah it's not a bad proving ground right um but what's interesting about that is then you leave and you go and work somewhere entirely different and you get a whole new perspective on culture and how to treat people and ways of doing things and you're in a business that is in growth rather than you know necessarily in decline and so there's this whole different psyche and different decision making and different ways of thinking about problems but also just culturally in terms of you know how do you make your way to the top in an organization that's very old school and traditional versus something that's a little bit different just blew my mind in terms of you know whatever and so after i left the corporate world i said you know what folks who've been on a similar length journey in terms of you know 20 25 years of employment who've bounced around between different industries and different organizations and therefore different organizational cultures have learned a lot around how to navigate that, that I hadn't necessarily considered. You kind of grew up with an organization and you kind of know just the one thing. You don't even think about it until you leave and then you realize how I've got a hell of a lot of learning to do. And so part of the journey since leaving has been to deliberately target working in different organizations with different cultures and different markets with different products and, and try effectively play catch up, right? I know a lot about things. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about a lot of other things. And so this is a great opportunity to go and work with some really interesting organizations. I, you know, having, think about it, it was 20 odd years in media, right? If you was to consider realestate.com as a media business, if you want to call it that, right? I mean, but to go and work in financial planning and financial services, construction, manufacturing, horticulture, every single one of those has entirely different products and markets and people and and yes, there's a technology element to that. But I find that fascinating. And so I guess it comes back to that always be learning piece. But what I'm trying to do there is to say, hey, look, you know, John, you're the CEO of a, uh, let's call it a farming business. Uh, and I know absolutely nothing about farming, except that I had a couple of cousins who grew up on a farm when I was a kid, and I went down, rode dirt bikes, and fell off them and hurt myself. That's about amount of my exposure to farming at the time. But I'm genuinely interested. I want to know all about, you know, what types of crops you're growing and the conditions they grow in, fertilizers and all that stuff. And I'm I'm eager to learn those things. And similarly, I'm here to impart some expertise and knowledge and value back into your organization in terms of my skill set. To answer your question. I think so because what I'm hearing is that you've got a genuine interest in 
learning in the new in new businesses and new inter- industries so after you had that experience of oh, i've been in media for many many years i, I want to do something different i want to learn something different i and that's what drove you to your success in doing and using the same or similar principles than what you've learned and with that thirst for knowledge and with that curiosity aspect that's what's driving you and your success because you're genuinely interested and you want to make a difference to these organizations that's what i'm hearing. yeah 100 so my you know i guess my philosophy is i really want to add value to these businesses to help change the game for them yeah that's that's clear because you want to do it for them and you're not just interested so you can do a particular job you're genuinely interested in, in what they're doing well yeah because i mean think about it, right so I use the example of the horticultural business and the farm for good reason because I actually have a client where we we do that. So I ran a couple of days of workshops, met the leadership team, try to understand the business strategy and where they're going and some of the opportunities for improvement and and whatnot with a, you know, in the back of my mind, technology lens, but we were largely not talking about technology. And then I went away and said, okay, I'm going to write up the technology strategy, but I actually go away and do research into the market and what's the expected growth in that sector in Australia and globally over the next couple of years. And what end up producing is largely the entire business strategy document with a, and by the way, this is how the technology supports it. Mainly because I think it helps me to go, well, once I understand intimately the business, where it's going, what its strengths and weaknesses are, what its opportunities look like, then the technology strategy that supports that's going to be infinitely better. I sent, you know, I sent a copy of the document off and went down to visit the guys a couple of days later and said, you know, let's go through this, make sure I haven't misinterpreted or misunderstood anything. Let's talk about any questions you have. And the feedback I got was, in such a short time, the ability for you to pick up what you know about our business and our market and whatnot is phenomenal. We did not expect that. Now, I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own proverbial, but what I'm saying is I feel like if you don't do that, then you're not really going to add the value that you potentially could if you didn't have a genuine curiosity and didn't seek to learn yeah, well, I'm happy to blow smoke there if you like. Um, <laughs> but it comes down to that your genuine your genuine interest and your willingness to help and to be curious, that curious mindset, I want to learn, I'm curious, and it pays dividends because you are running a successful business. How good is that? He certainly is running a successful business and he certainly is curious. Good on you, Shane. We spoke for ages, so that's why there's a part one and part two. Did you catch all the gold in there, including Shane's motto, leadership comes from within and the difference in leadership between giving direction and holding that vision for everyone versus merely just managing tasks some gold in there for all you leaders out there in which we are all we are the leaders looking in the mirror at ourselves how to foster psychological safety from within your team that was absolutely gold too thank you shane always be learning leadership's not a title it's a commitment to growth and excellence quote shane williams shane you are amazing next week part two unleashing self-belief for greatness the power of self-belief, the game-changer mindset that allows you to start a conversation with anyone, and Shane's personal transformation from an introverted 19-year-old to an accomplished thought leader and public speaker. He also gives away a free copy of his book and a 500 bucks worth of uh, free consultation with him as well. So stay tuned for all of that. See you next week. Stay awesome. Love you a long time.
another incredible episode of Rise and Thrive Conversations for Greatness. I hope this conversation has ignited a fire within you, inspiring you to take bold steps towards your own path of greatness. Guess what? The journey doesn't end here. There's so much more to explore, learn and achieve. So if you're hungry for more insights, more inspiration and more strategies to fuel your personal and professional greatness, get ready because the next episode is just around the corner. Every Tuesday to be precise, where we'll continue to unravel the secrets to unlocking your extraordinary potential. Don't miss out on the chance to keep rising and thriving with us. Hit the subscribe button and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And remember, greatness is not a destination. It's a continuous journey, so let's embark on it together. Thank you so much for being part of the Rise and Thrive community. It means so much to me that you're listening. And my wish for you is that you get so much out of doing so. Keep reaching for the stars, keep pushing your boundaries, and keep embracing the challenges that come your way, because that's how we truly grow. Stay tuned, stay motivated, and get ready to rise and thrive. If you're finding value from our conversations, Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Together, we can create a ripple effect of positivity, optimism, and positive change. Keep shining brightly. Your greatness knows no bounds. And remember, be great and stay awesome.